Welcome listeners, but take heed. We will say whatever we need to share our knowledge, thoughts, and joy, and even things that do annoy. So join us now, but be aware, we have a tendency to swear. We'll dial it back a little bit, but frankly, we don't give a shit. Welcome to Just Keep Rolling, a Harry Potter book movie compare and contrast podcast. I'm Katie, and the vaquita next to me is Ellen. I'm a what a vaquita. They are the smallest, and I would argue the cutest cetacean. The cutest whatation? Cetacean. Aquatic mammals constituting the infraorder cetacea. Key characteristics are their fully aquatic lifestyle, streamlined body shape, often large size, and exclusively carnivorous diet. They include whales and dolphins. So what a? You're doing this on purpose. Wrong. I'm doing this on purpose. Ugh. I knew I should have just called you a white-rumped vulture. You know what? Let's just keep rolling into the rolling rehash. Last week, we covered Chapter 21, the House Elf Liberation Front, and the corresponding film scenes. Ron and Hermione have very different ideas about the precedent a dragon-filled first task sets. Pigwidgeon is almost no match for Harry's wordy play-by-play, A Weasley twin party is always BYOS, bring your own snacks. Harry's obsession with his golden egg is further proof that he's at least part Niffler. Hagrid may not know all of the spells, but as long as he keeps replenishing the single malt whiskey, what else does he need? For some reason, nailing combustible devil crabs into hibernatory coffins is actually a bad idea. Hermione made an adorable discovery in the Hogwarts kitchens while trying to sneak the house elves to freedom under a giant trench coat. Winky's reaction shows us that Dobby is the exception when it comes to freedom, and Percy wouldn't know a joke if it danced naked in front of him wearing Dobby's tea cozy. During episode 88, the house elf picket line, our Potter pondering was, what do you think about how the book left out Dobby and Winky's jobs at Hogwarts? as well as the development of Weasley's Wizard Wheezes. Carly just wishes that we had seen Dobby come back and give Harry love and support. She does like that they made Neville have more support and more of a role with Harry, but she wishes we had been able to see the house elves in Spew and how all that made Hermione into the witch that she becomes. She also really wishes we had gotten to see the twins get the winnings from Harry and start the business and all of the development. But that is just jumping all over the place in the story. Mm Mm-hmm. Max said it really does come across like they're avoiding the argument of whether or not the house elves were slaves. They avoid the topic of money a lot, too. So all considered, this film is anti-charity and pro-slavery. It's still his favorite film, though. I don't know what that says about him. (laughs) (laughs) But okay. Quincy said it's bullshit, especially because Dobby was a vital part of the storyline, an Order of the Phoenix. So the fact that Dobby is missing altogether is bullshit. They took his favorite book, hollowed it out, and just left the husk. Juliana said that leaving Dobby out in this movie and Half-Blood Prince makes his return in Deathly Hallows super confusing and awkward. Winky is incredibly important in this book, and it's shameful that they left her out. We do see the twins trying to get some money via gambling on the Quad Wizard Tournament, but it's never really explained why they want extra money. 
The joke shop is hinted at in order, and it's magically there in Half-Blood Prince. That's a very good point. Dave said, from a film standpoint, neither was required to move the plot forward at this point. No one is going to forget Dobby existed because he was left out here. And movie watchers never knew Winky existed, standing erect or limp. (laughs) So leaving her out here made no difference. Forge and Gred were known to be pranksters, so later when they said they were opening a joke shop, it was no surprise. Yeah, it's kind of a non sequitur, I feel. A little bit. I agree. Our trivia question last week was, what was the Gryffindor password changed to during the holiday season? The password was changed to fairy lights. Unless, of course, the fat lady is drunk, then it's Larry fights. Well, they're that too. But congratulations goes to Mike Riley. Woohoo! He has officially set a new record at nine weeks straight. Yay, Mike! It's about damn time. Right? Will he continue his streak to keep upping the record? We'll find out. For now, let's just keep rolling into the first half of Chapter 22, The Unexpected Task, and the corresponding film scenes. Chapter 22, The Unexpected Task, Part 1. Professor McGonagall snaps at Harry and Ron at the end of the Transfiguration lesson because they're in the middle of a sword fight using a couple of Fred and George's fake wands. Once they're paying attention, she makes an announcement about the Yule Ball, a traditional part of the Triwizard Tournament. It's a dance open to fourth years and above, though they may invite a younger student. Lavender Brown lets out a shrill giggle, and though Parvati elbows her, she's holding in her own giggle as they both look at Harry. McGonagall ignores them and continues on to tell everyone that dress robes will be worn. The ball starts at 8 p.m. on Christmas Day and will last until midnight. In a very disapproving tone, she calls it a chance to let their hair down, and Lavender giggles even harder, since the professor looks as though she's never let her hair down in any sense. She gives one last announcement, reminding everyone that it doesn't mean they're relaxing the standards of behavior, and she will be displeased if Gryffindor embarrasses the school in any way. The bell rings and she asks Harry to stay behind for a word. Assuming he's in trouble for playing around, he gloomily approaches her desk. Once the rest of the class is gone, she brings up how the champions and their dance partners open the ball. Harry tries to insist that he doesn't dance, but McGonagall makes it very clear that he is a Hogwarts champion and will do what is expected of him as a representative of the school. Having a difficult time getting a girl on her own to ask one to the ball, Harry decides that he would rather face a dragon again. Ron wonders who he wants to ask, and Harry stays silent, knowing he wants to ask Cho Chang, but struggling to work up the nerve. Ron keeps the bitterness in his voice to a minimum as he reassures Harry that he's not going to have any trouble getting a girl to go to the ball with him since he's a champion and just beat a Hungarian horntail. Sure enough, over the next couple of days, Harry has several girls ask him, and while enduring taunts from Ron, Dean, and Seamus, he also remembers Hermione's words about the girls who only like Crumb because he's famous, figuring it is the same for him. The movie section starts out with an aerial view of the castle with owls flying above it and transitions following an owl into the Great Hall. 
The tables are filled with students eating, and the camera focuses on the twins, Parvati and Padma Patil, as they walk side by side down the aisle and pass Harry, smiling and saying hi to him. Harry is too busy drinking from his goblet and staring at Cho Chang across the Great Hall to reply. When Cho's friend points out that he is looking at her, she turns to him and smiles. Harry tries to smile back and spits his juice out, causing the girls to giggle. Cho shushes them and gives Harry a sympathetic smile. Harry's embarrassment is interrupted by Hermione's outrage as she shakes out a copy of the Daily Prophet and exclaims that she can't believe this, she's done it again. She reads out, Miss Granger, a plain but ambitious girl, seems to be developing a taste for famous wizards. Her latest prey is none other than the Bulgarian bonbon Victor Crumb. The article also says that there is no word on how Harry Potter is taking this emotional blow. Harry looks completely unamused, but before he can respond, a younger student approaches, carrying a package that he hands over to Ron, saying it's a parcel for Mr. Weasley. Ron thanks the boy, calling him Nigel, and the kid just stands there and awkwardly stares at Harry. Hermione clears her throat, and Ron nudges him with his elbow, telling him, later. Harry and Hermione look at Ron, who explains that he told the boy he'd get him Harry's autograph. And then he opens the package that arrived from his mother. He pulls out something brown with orange lace and exclaims that his mum sent him a dress as he stands and holds it up, looking disgusted. Harry tells him that it does match his eyes and asks if there's a matching bonnet, rummaging through the box. He finds another piece of fabric, this one white and lacy with a black bow tie, and holds it up to Ron, laughing. Ron is not amused and tries to pass them off to Ginny, assuming that their mum sent him her dress by mistake. Ginny tells him that she's not wearing that, it's ghastly, and Hermione laughs at him. She explains that they aren't for Ginny, they're his dress robes, for him. And as everyone looks over and laughs, Ron demands to know what the dress robes are for. The scene transitions to a close-up shot inside of a horn speaker as Professor McGonagall's voice is heard explaining that the Yule Ball has been a tradition of the Triwizard Tournament since its inception. The camera reverses out of the speaker to show the whole room, where Filch is adjusting the record player and McGonagall is addressing the Gryffindors, telling them that on Christmas Eve night they will gather with their guests in the Great Hall to have a night of well-mannered frivolity. She insists that they must represent the school by literally putting their best foot forward, because the Yule Ball is a dance. Chatter breaks out in the room, with excitement coming predominantly from the side of the room the girls are seated on and reluctance from the boys on the opposite side. McGonagall tells them all to be silent and reminds them all that the house of Godric Gryffindor has commanded respect from the wizarding community for centuries, and she will not have them ruining that in one night by behaving like a babbling, bumbling band of baboons. This declaration causes one of the twins to lean over and tell the other twin to try saying that five times fast. They both attempt to quickly repeat the phrase as McGonagall continues to talk about the dance, addressing the girl specifically, saying, Inside every girl a secret swan slumbers, longing to burst forth and take flight. Ron leans over and mutters a comment about Eloise Midgen's acne being about to burst as McGonagall turns towards the boys to say that inside every boy a lordly lion is prepared to prance. She catches Ron mid-mutter and asks him to join her. She takes him by the shoulder and directs him to the middle of the room, where she asks him to place his right hand on her waist. A very alarmed Ron says, What? And she repeats, My waist. 
He tentatively places his hand on her waist, and one of the twins gives a wolf whistle. Ron tries to remove his hand, but McGonagall returns it to her waist as Fred and George laugh at their younger brother. Filt starts the music, and McGonagall begins counting dance steps. Harry calls to the twins, saying that they are never going to let him forget this, and in unison, they respond, Never. McGonagall calls for everyone to come together, and the girls immediately stand and step forward as the boys all look at one another. Neville stands, and the scene cuts to him practicing his dance steps by himself in the dormitory as Harry and Ron watch from the door. Transitioning again, the movie cuts to Harry and Ron walking through the courtyard, talking about how difficult it is to get a girl on her own to ask her to the dance. He walks up to Cho, who is with a large group of Ravenclaw girls that all silently glare at him as he awkwardly smiles, takes a breath, and decides to just walk away. Ron points out that Harry has slayed dragons. If he can't get a date, who can? Harry declares that he would rather face a dragon again as he attempts to smile at a small group of Bobaton girls who sneer at him and turn their backs. This is probably the shortest book section we have ever had because of how we had to split this to become two episodes. Maybe I'm the one who can take a nap this week. Yeah, but if you nap, then I'm gonna nap, and we just won't have an episode. Fine, I'll stay awake, and we can talk more about the movie this episode, since they managed to include quite a few things from the book that didn't really happen in this chapter. Not to mention the stuff the film changed from the book and completely added. Yeah, there's that, too. The book starts out with Harry and Ron having a sword fight with some of Fred and George's fake wands in the back of Transfiguration, when Professor McGonagall calls for them to pay attention. I'm sorry, but a sword fight with their wands, that just sounds dirty. Everything sounds dirty to you. That's a very good point. <laughs> and absolutely true. But once she has their attention, along with the other students, she announces that there is going to be a Yule Ball, which is a traditional part of the Quad Wizard Tournament. <laughs> She tells them that it's open to fourth-year students and above, but they may bring a younger student if they like. The movie basically starts on this information, too, though it's set up a little differently. It starts out with an aerial view of the castle that kind of gives me a bit of vertigo, if I'm being honest, but luckily it transitions to the interior of the Great Hall at breakfast. The tables are filled with students eating, and the camera focuses on the Pottle twins as they walk side by side down the aisle and pass Harry, smiling and saying hi to him concurrently. Sorry, girls. You're good, but you're no Greddenforge. But who is? It's very true. Oblivious as always, Harry barely notices as he takes a drink from his goblet and catches sight of Cho Chang across the hall. Cho Chang! <laughs> Cho's friend points out that he is looking at her, so she turns and gives him a shy smile. Harry tries to smile back, but forgets about the mouthful of juice he's currently harboring. His juice spills out of his mouth, causing the girls and anyone else lucky enough to witness that comic gold to giggle. <laughs> Cho shushes them and gives Harry a sympathetic smile, while Harry wishes once again that the Earth would just swallow him up. Wishing that the Earth could swallow better than he does? Basically, yes. <laughs> Harry is distracted from his teenage embarrassment by Hermione's eyebrows. I mean, outrage. Sorry. <laughs> They're so easily confused. <laughs> they really are. <laughs> she loudly and emphatically shakes out her copy of the Daily Prophet, exclaiming that she can't believe this. She's done it again. Meanwhile, everyone else is wondering what is so unbelievable. 
trash reader writes trash. It's kind of her thing. I believe it. See? Anyway, Hermione begins to read the article out loud to the entirety of the surrounding area. Pro tip, Granger. If you don't want more attention drawn to the puff piece written about you, maybe don't help its exposure along by shouting about it in the middle of the Great Hall. Like, just tone it down, Hermie. She should have banned it. Really? That would get people to ignore it. Really? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm jumping ahead in the story. A little bit. (laughs) (laughs) But this is also very different than her reaction from the article in the book, as her attitude there was to just ignore it. The article in the movie also delivers a few backhanded compliments instead of the book's version, which was actually complimentary towards Hermione. Mm Mm-hmm. But it also had a rather large dose of flowery teen angst that really has everyone wondering if it was actually written by Lavender Brown. Miss Granger, a plain but ambitious girl, seems to be developing a taste for famous wizards. Her latest prey is none other than the Bulgarian bonbon, Victor Crumb. The article also says that there is no word on how Harry Potter is taking this emotional blow. Yeah, that shit sounds like lavender. Like, who the fuck calls someone a bonbon? (laughs) I think this article more so references one from later in the book, Mm -hmm. which I think happened after the second task. So we'll talk more about that when we get there. It seems a little strange to me that the movie included it now, since there hasn't been much to indicate that Hermione has any interest in that Bulgarian bonbon. (laughs) I kind of always took it from when Rita was in the tent with them and Victor stood up for her. Like, this tent is for champions and friends. Yeah, but at the same time, she's pushing that there's a romance between her and Harry. Well, there's that too. In the book, the article that she wrote Mm -hmm. was specifically about Harry finding love with Hermione amongst all of the other stuff. Mm. But we didn't have that. And they didn't mention that in the first one. So it's like they pretended like it was already mentioned and then jumped ahead to where they write the article about her being involved with Crumb. But that hasn't happened yet. So it it was just like they were trying to include what was in the book and just kind of fucked it up. What? They've never done that before. That's not a thing. But in the movie, it's actually Harry who couldn't really give a shit as he's pretty quickly learned that Rita is best ignored. Yeah, it did kind of flip-flop Harry and Hermione's reaction to Trash Rita's gutter journalism. Mm-hmm. But side note, I love the visual of the layout of the Daily Prophet articles, but I would get such a headache trying to read them. I feel like it would mimic motion sickness while holding totally still. Makes me a little vomity just to think about it. But before he can respond any further than just rolling his eyes, a younger student approaches carrying a package for Ron, saying it's for Mr. Weasley package for you mr weasley (laughs) ron says thank you nigel and the boy just stands there staring at harry in a creepy children of the corn kind of way hermione brings ron's attention to this and ron just waves nigel away saying later chill the fuck out dude harry and hermione both aim some ocular darts in ron's direction until he explains that he told the boy he'd get harry's autograph for him see now here's what i want to (laughs) know Who the fuck is Nigel? And why couldn't this have just been Colin Creevy? Right? It doesn't make any sense. They literally had that character already for real. Yeah. And they just make up some fucking Nigel. And like, I'm sorry, Nigel is just an old man. Like, (laughs) 
they don't call kids Nigel. Little children are not Nigel. They grow up and that becomes their name. <laughs> so what do they start off as? Nige or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's some other name and it morphs into Nigel when they become adults because that's just you know not what? a kid <gasps> name. You know what? I know what Nigel start off as. What? Collins. Colin Creebies. <laughs> or make it Dennis Creeby. I don't care. They were in the story. Make, make it a goddamn Creeby, would you? They were in the story and they just make up somebody else that has. It's another fucking Bem. Mm-hmm. I know. That's what comes to my mind, too. I'm like, fucking Bem. But Harry goes back to his food, not sure whether to be happy that Ron got over his jealousy issues or not. Ron then turns his attention to the package in front of him, saying that it's from his mom. He opens it and pulls out something brown with orange lace and exclaims in horror that Molly seems to have sent him a dress. Now this, again, refers to something that happened much earlier in the book, before they even went to Hogwarts. Mm -hmm. And honestly, I don't think it was all that necessary to include it here. Though it did end up becoming a good segue to introducing the Yule Ball. That's true. Yeah. It definitely had some similarities to how Ron got his dress robes in the book. But it's obviously different. If for no other reason than because he's at school, receiving it in public, and therefore getting more grief for it. Right. Which, you know, makes it funnier, but still. Poor Ron. Mm-hmm. Harry chortles that it matches his eyes and rummages around in the box to see if there's a matching bonnet. He finds another piece of fabric, this one white and frilly with a black bow tie, and holds it up to Ron, laughing. Ron seems very much not amused, and tells Ginny Mum sent him her dress by mistake. Which is similar to the original, though it was Ron telling his mum that she gave him Ginny's dress, not directly telling Ginny. Yeah, in the movie, Ginny snorts and says there's no way in hell she's wearing that monstrosity, and Hermione laughs loudly at him. It's ghastly. It's ghastly. Oh. oh, my stars. It's ghastly. It's ghastly. I can't wear that to the Yule Ball. Anyway. <laughs> Hermione tells him that they are dress robes, which, again, being muggle-born is something she knows all about. All about. All about. I'm sure she read about it. In Hogwarts of History. Or something else. <laughs> Nevertheless, this elicits laughter from everyone around as Ron demands to know why he would need dress robes. Cue the transition to telling us about the Yule Ball. Yep, it's almost like that was planned. Right? Segways galore! <laughs> the scene transitions to a close-up shot inside Audrey 2's mouth. Oh, wait. That's a giant-ass gramophone. My bad. <laughs> Professor McGonagall begins explaining the history of the Yule Ball to a group of largely uninterested Gryffindors. She is getting irritated with Filch, who is messing with the record player, while telling them that on Christmas Eve night, they will get together with the rest of the school, plus Bobaton and Durmstrang, in the Great Hall, to have a night of well-mannered frivolity. I love her speech in this. I know. I love it. It's so great. Being ripe in their adolescent years, they, of course, have no idea what this means, though. So now, the book and the movie are lining back up again, though the details are different. Since McGonagall is making this announcement in her classroom to the fourth year Gryffindors, not to all of the Gryffindors at once. Mm. In the book, Lavender giggles and Parvati elbows her and holds in her own giggle. And they both look at Harry. <sighs> 
Professor McGonagall ignores them and tells the class that dress robes will be worn and the ball will be held from 8 o'clock till midnight on Christmas Day. This is sort of reminiscent of how Parvati and Padma are the ones looking at Harry and attempting to twin tandem talk to him. Attempting to, because they're not quite Gred and Forge. Well, yes. McGonagall tells the class in a disapproving tone that the Yule Ball is a chance to let their hair down, but that she still expects them to hold the high standards of Hogwarts students, and that she will be very disappointed if any Gryffindor student embarrasses the school in any way. Basically guaranteeing that every student will embarrass the school in every way. At least some way. Most of the ways, yes. (laughs) All of the ways. (laughs) In the movie, she insists that they must represent the school by literally putting their best foot forward because the Yule Ball is not a school-wide game of dodgeball or a giant ball pit, as they were hoping, but a dance. But a dance. A dance. Chatter breaks out in the room. The girls seem extremely excited, while the boys seem as though they've just been told what a prostate exam is. (laughs) Because even in magic schools, this reaction is universal. Yep. (laughs) I would imagine so. It's my guess, yes. McGonagall shushes the din by reminding the students that they had better take this shit seriously because Gryffindors are meant to be classy, respected bitches. And she is not going to put up with them fucking that up in one night by behaving like a babbling, bumbling band of baboons. And as long as I live, Maggie Smith's delivery of that line will always be a highlight. It is absolutely amazing, even if it wasn't originally in the book. That's one of those things you can add it all you fucking want. Right. It's one of those very few times where I'm like, you know what? I approve. it. Mm -hmm. I I super approve of that. This declaration causes one of the twins. Obviously, it's Fred. George. George. Fred. Ah, fuck. Oh, one of the twins to lean over and tell the other twin to try saying that five times fast. And don't lie. Y'all did the same thing at some point. Babbling, bumbling, band of baboons. 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 I lost it. I messed it up one of those times, too. That was fun, though. While attempting the tongue twister, McGonagall continues to wax lyrical about the Yule Ball, saying that inside every girl a secret swan slumbers, longing to burst forth and take flight. Secret swan slumbers is also fun. Especially in her in her Scottish accent. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to try. No, you shouldn't. <laughs> I'm not going to try. I also but, will not. But I love saying it with her when I'm watching the movie. Right. So there's that. <laughs> I find accents easier to imitate immediately after hearing them. Mm-hmm. But then if I just try to jump in and do an accent, it, it's not good. Yeah. And trying to do it on this podcast, even though we're like in my basement, nobody else is here but us. We sound ridiculous. I know that people are going to hear it and I get really nervous and I fuck it up. <laughs> I still try and then you laugh at me and you're like, don't do that. Only so. your Irish accent. That's the only one my, that makes me giggle. It's rough. It's a little rough. Like one word comes through sounding semi-Irish <laughs> out of a whole sentence. It's great. <laughs> but anyway. Moving on. Ron leans over, makes a shitty comment about Eloise Midgen's acne being about to burst as McGonagall turns towards the boys and says that inside every boy, a lordly lion prepared to prance. 
I would have gone with Lordly Lion prepared to leap, but then the prepared to prance, you got Lordly Lion and prepared to prance, so it's like double yeah. alliteration, but maybe a Lordly Lion longing to leap? I mean, that would work too. I just wanted more alliteration. I kind of wish she honestly would have just cut out the prepared to, and it's just like, a Lordly Lion leaps, like... I feel like, or a lordly lion prances. Like, that just feels better to me. Or a lordly lion longing to leap. There we go. Something. Because she's not longing to burst forth. But Yeah, true. Lord, They had secret swan slumbers, and they only got lordly lion. They needed another L in there for it to be complete. I mean, we're all about the alliteration, so. Always alliteration. Absolutely. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. In other news, Ron and his comments about Eloise Midgen can go fuck themselves. It makes me so mad. What a dick. Honestly, I think it's partially too because I read a fan fiction once about Eloise Midgen and it made me love her like a lot. Even though she's not really mentioned in the books. I just love her. <laughs> so it makes me mad that Ron is mean. <laughs> it just makes me mad that Ron was mean. Mm-hmm. McGonagall catches Ron mid-mutter, and because she's a badass who knows how to handle kids being dicks, she calls him to join her in the middle of the room. <laughs> I love this part. Yes. I love this whole scene. Mm-hmm. Like, I just do. She takes him by the shoulder and asks him to place his right hand on her waist. A very alarmed Ron shits a brick and says, what? What? <gasps> I love how he says it. He's yeah. just like, what? He looks so, so alarmed at the prospect. He makes the same face that I make when you say something that isn't dirty, but I think it's dirty. (laughs) So everything, basically. Yes. Yes. (laughs) I can't talk around her. Mm -hmm. Or you can. It's just, you'll hear that a lot. But McGonagall repeats, my waist, nice and clearly. Just in case he didn't actually understand what she was requesting. Exactly. He tentatively places his hand on her waist, and one of the twins gives a wolf whistle. Because how do you not? It was obviously George. 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 Damn it. We are so bad at that. Really are. Ron tries to remove his hand, presumably to make a rude gesture in the direction of the whistling twin, but McGonagall returns it to her waist as Fred and George laugh their balls off. Along with everybody else. Everybody. (laughs) Filch starts the music and McGonagall begins counting dance steps. Ron follows along with the most sour expression on his face. And Harry calls to the twins as they dance mockingly by themselves. He asks if they're ever going to let him forget this. And in unison, they respond, Never. McGonagall calls for everyone to come together and the girls immediately stand and step forward as the boys all look away and act like they didn't hear McGonagall tell them to get on their feet. Neville stands to break away from the other boys, and the scene cuts to Harry and Ron opening the door to their dorm and seeing Neville in his gym jams and dress shoes, practicing some rather fancy moves. Also not something that was in the book, but so adorable. So cute. Oh my god, I love Neville. Sweet little Neville. Right. But like I said, not a bit of this happens (laughs) in the book. (laughs) It's one of those additions that I adored, though. Mm -hmm. Agreed. What actually happened in the book is that she tells them about the Yule Ball, tells them they have to behave, and then the bell rings and she asks Harry to stay behind for a moment. They're pretty cut and dry. Yeah. 
He approaches her desk, figuring that he's going to be in trouble for messing around. But when the rest of the class is gone, she tells him that the champions and their dance partners traditionally open the ball. Harry says that he doesn't dance, and McGonagall tells him that he certainly will, as he's a Hogwarts champion and will do what is expected of him as such. Damn. Bring down the hammer. She sure does, too. <laughs> it's just like she cuts him off. She's just like, nope, you're dancing. Sorry, dude. <laughs> Binding magical contract. Mm -hmm. If we couldn't get you out of fighting a dragon, we sure as shit can't get you out of dancing, guy. Yep. Sorry. This isn't directly stated in the movie, just sort of implied, since it goes on to focus on Harry and Ron trying to find a date for the dance. Transitioning again, the movie cuts to Harry and Ron walking through the courtyard, asking why girls always have to travel in packs, and how are you supposed to get one on their own to talk to? Ron, being the Casanova that he is, has surprisingly little to say on the subject. <laughs> Harry tries to walk up to Cho, but she is surrounded by an intimidating number of girls with some mad crazy RBF. Right? Oh my god. Oh, looks could kill. They were so mean looking. Scarier than dragons. Honestly. So Harry just awkwardly smiles, takes a breath, and decides to walk away without a word. And I gotta say, probably the right call. It was so awkward, though. It really His was. His smile was adorably awkward. <laughs> it really was. So this does kind of happen in the book chapter as well. Mm -hmm. About a week ago, Harry probably would have thought that finding a dance partner would be easier than facing a Hungarian horntail. But now that he's faced with asking a girl to go to the ball, though, he thinks he'd rather face the dragon again. Mm -hmm. Harry asks Ron why the girls move in packs. So similar line. Yeah. And how he's supposed to get one on their own to ask them to the ball. Again, similar line. Yep. Mm -hmm. Casanova suggests a lasso. <laughs> and he asks Harry if he has any idea who he wants to take. Harry wants to ask Cho, but is nervous since she's older, very pretty, and a very good Quidditch player. But he doesn't tell Ron this. Ron senses Harry's hesitation and tells him that he won't have any problem since he's a champion and beat a Hungarian horntail. And of course, you know, he's Harry fucking Potter. Right. <laughs> so there's that. This actually basically happens in the movie, too. As they retreat to the sound of laughing Ravenclaws, Ron points out that Harry has slayed dragons. If he can't get a date, who can? Good point. Mm -hmm. The book shows that over the next few days, Ron is proved right when several girls approach Harry to ask him to the ball. He turns them all down and thinks about what Hermione said about Crumb, that they only like him because he's famous. He doubts that any of those girls would have asked him if he weren't a champion and also considers if he would be bothered if Cho asked him. You know that if Cho asked him, it would just be Cho Ching! <laughs> oh. The movie instead decided to emphasize the struggle it is to find a date. Harry decides that dragons are easier to understand as he attempts to smile at a small group of Bobaton girls, but they sneer at him and turn their backs. Maybe this is why all the hairdos are so terrible in this movie. Because it's much more believable that he would get so many nasty looks despite having saved the damn world so many times. What with the groundhog nesting on his damn cranium. That could very well be it. Right? He does look like a dorky 14-year-old. Mm -hmm. And that horrid hairy, hairy hair is not doing him any favors. Ugh. That horrendously horrid hairy, hairy hair. 
It's horrible. Seriously. I think that's why movie Harry couldn't get a date. And they really paint it more in the movie that he can't get a date as opposed to turning people down. Right. So there's that. More dramatic, I would Mm -hmm. imagine. It's funnier, too. Yeah. Having him just be intimidated by all of the girls. Right. Teen angst and whatnot. Right. (laughs) But we're going to cut the episode here because this is one of the longest movie sections ever. After the damn dragon scene, anyways. (laughs) Yeah, that was a long scene. (laughs) We will pick up with the rest of this chapter and the corresponding movie scenes next week. So we did technically kind of get introduced to Parvati and Padma, but we're going to save talking about their actors until the Yule Ball scene when we get to see them interact more. Yeah, makes sense to me. Mm -hmm. We also did meet William Melling, who played the made-up Nigel. I guess technically all of the characters are made up, (laughs) but this one was not made up by Rowling. This one was just made up by... The movie edition. The movie edition, yes. And I'm not really a huge fan of that since they cut out the Creevy brothers. No, it's kind of like they took both Creevies and melded them together to create Nigel. And that's just stupid. Use one of the Creevies, damn it. Honestly, give me a freaking Creevy. However, William Melling himself is adorable. He really is. And like, I kind of wish they had just cast him as... Dennis Creevy. Mm-hmm. He would have made a great Dennis. He really would have. He even kind of looked like Colin. They yeah. totally could have been brothers. It's irritating. I don't know why they didn't do that because he was adorable. Mm-hmm. I mean, he didn't do a ton, but he was adorable. I think yeah. he should have been Dennis Creevy. But he wasn't. No, so he boo. was not. But there's my two cents. Yep. Our Potter pondering for this week is... What are your thoughts on the addition of Nigel? <sighs> you know how we feel about it, so... <laughs> Let us know how you do. Find the post on our Facebook page and share your thoughts. We really look forward to reading them. And this will bring us to our sorting hat story, which is from Cadence. She writes, I am a proud Ravenclaw, and I have a 10-inch ebony wood wand with a unicorn hair core. My Patronus is a nightjar, which is a kind of bird. I've wanted to read the book since I was seven, but never got around to it. My Gryffindor friend Sophie became a Potterhead about a year ago and told me to read the books and watch the movies. I then decided to finally do it, and I was obsessed. Aren't we all? (laughs) Now we are both Potterheads and talk about Harry Potter all the time. She was also the one who recommended this podcast to me. So thanks, Sophie. Thanks. You should share your Sorting Hat story too, Sophie. Mm Mm-hmm, definitely. But we really appreciate you sharing yours with us, Cadence. Yeah, thank you. And if any of you other keepers, like Sophie, out there listening would like us to read your Sorting Hat story on a future episode, you can email it to us at justkeeprolling at gmail.com. Let us know your house, wand, Patronus, how you got into Harry Potter, and anything else you might want to share with us. Or you can message it to us over social media, which is actually what Cadence did. Mm-hmm. And now for the trivia question, which is... What does Harry forget to add to his potion, which earns him bottom marks? The first one who responds with a correct answer in the code word, hashtag, oh well, will get a sticker. Another way to get a sticker is to rate and review us through iTunes or Facebook. Make sure to email us at justkeeprolling at gmail.com to let us know you did, and we'll get back to you to figure out which sticker you want and where to send it. Don't forget to find us and follow us on Facebook at JKR Podcast and Twitter and Instagram at justkeeprolling. Following us on Podbean at justkeeprolling.podbean.com 
will get you the episode as early as possible and give you a leg up in answering the trivia question. Make sure to check out our website at justkeeprolling.com. And don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you would like to help us continue creating more content, you can support us as a patron and get extra perks on patreon.com slash justkeeprolling. As always, any support you can give is greatly appreciated. And join us next week when we talk about the second half of Chapter 22, the unexpected task and the corresponding film scenes. Thanks for listening. We hope you hear us again. I'm Katie. I'm Ellen. Until the next time, just just keep keep rolling. rolling.